0: If you would, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. We're going to be continuing our study through the book of Mark on the road with Jesus. And as you do so, uh, just as a way of reminder, if you remember last week, how Jesus sent the disciples out into a storm. Uh, and specifically that Jesus sent the disciples out into a very dangerous storm that he might reveal his glory. Um, it wasn't without purpose that he sent them out there to reveal his glory, but we also noticed that the disciples still really didn't get it. They still didn't understand that the mighty God, the I Am, was in their midst, and to be honest, we like the disciples when God puts us in difficult circumstances to reveal his glory, we often don't get it either. We often miss uh, what God is doing, that he is revealing his glory, and we are often very myopic in looking to our circumstance. And in today's passage, uh, we're gonna see that we need to be rescued by Jesus, the compassionate Savior. We'll look at the, the nature of defilement and uh, particularly ritual defilement versus real defilement. And two, we will look uh, that true defilement cannot be cleansed by a ritual cleansing. So let's read our passage together. And I've got my Bible open to the wrong passage, so that's going to be a problem. Let's look at Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 53. We're going to be reading all the way to verse 23 of chapter 7. So it's a little bit of a long passage beginning at verse 53 When they had crossed over they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore and when they got out of the boat the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick on their beds to wherever they heard he was and wherever he came in villages cities or countryside they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment and as many as touched it were made well now when the pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come uh, from jerusalem they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled that is unwashed for the pharisees and all the jews do not eat unless their hands unless they wash their hands properly holding to the tradition of the elders of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles his father or mother must surely die. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word this morning. God, we ask that um, as we consider just a few things and, and notice what you have for us here, God, we pray that uh, you would be with us. God, that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see what you have revealed for us in your word this morning. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be with us, that you would be at work in us, uh, conforming us to the image of Christ, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Now, this first portion uh, of Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 53, we read there, when they, that is, that Jesus and the disciples had crossed over, and they came to land at Gennesaret, moored to the shore, and when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever he was. And we notice that Jesus is becoming more and more popular wherever he goes whether he's going to the villages the cities or the countryside people are beginning to recognize him more and more and his popularity is growing more and more but we notice too that the people that are gathering to jesus in most of these situations are coming not because they want to hear jesus teach they're coming because they believe that Jesus can alleviate their suffering, that, that He can grant them release from their, their temporal circumstances, that He can heal their diseases. This can be a very helpful diagnostic for us. You know, why have I come to Jesus? Have I come to Jesus because I believe that He can uh, help me have an easier life? Um, what is it that I believe I need to be rescued from? You know, is it that I believe that, that Jesus has, has come to rescue me from having difficulties in this life? And it's important to notice that Jesus does, in fact, heal those who came to him. He's not an uncompassionate Savior. As a matter of fact, this is why we say that the, this passage is about Jesus, the compassionate Savior, that we need to be rescued by a compassionate Savior. We've seen over and over that Jesus is compassionate. We even saw in, uh, in Gentle and Lowly, just a few weeks ago, uh, when we were looking at chapter two, we saw that Jesus not only says that he is gentle and lowly, but that he lives that way, that he is gentle to those who are, who are hurting and he's compassionate. We saw just a couple of weeks ago that Jesus had compassion on the crowd uh, that had gathered to him. Now, in this next major section, we're gonna jump to chapter seven now. We see that in addition to those who have gathered to Jesus because um, they believe that he can heal them, uh, we see that there are others who have gathered to Jesus. And in this case, it is the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, We see in verse 1 of chapter 7, now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, it's important for us to understand who these people are. Um, The Pharisees, we've only encountered a little bit in Mark's gospel. Mark doesn't really talk about the Pharisees nearly as much as Matthew does. But around the time that we find the Pharisees in our text, uh, the Pharisees were a pious sect of the Jews who uh, were committed to the law of God. They, they believed in the inspiration of scripture, and they believed in the resurrection of the dead. So on, in some respects, we can look at the, the Pharisees and see that they were a very orthodox group. Uh, however, they also held to what is known as the tradition of the elders. And these traditions, uh, which were eventually gathered together in a book called the Mishnah, And the Mishnah itself refers to these traditions or these oral laws as a fence around the law. They were designed to protect the people from accidentally violating God's law. At least that was the idea. The Pharisees, according to uh, Cranfield in his commentary on Mark's gospel, held that these traditions, or held these traditions as equally binding as God's law or the scriptures. Now, While the Pharisees weren't in the majority in the Sanhedrin, the the Jewish court, which included the high priest, they did, though, command a significant influence because of their popularity among the people. The scribes were men educated in the law of God. The scribes were the lawyers. Uh, It was their job to study God's law, to transcribe it or make copies of it, and to write commentaries on it. Ezra, for example, was a scribe. Ezra chapter seven, verse six six tells us that he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses. So the scribes, though, by the time that we find them in our text, uh, had added and elevated many uh, man-made traditions. Now, before we're too quick to vilify the scribes and Pharisees, Though what they do in this passage, we will see, is a very evil thing. But we need to understand that these were not supervillains. That originally the scribes and the Pharisees weren't setting out to, uh, to subvert God's law. They weren't setting out to, to obscure the law of God. Uh, and they certainly weren't uh, setting out to uh, oppose the Christ. They weren't setting out to oppose the Messiah, though that's what they ended up doing. And all of these men went sideways in the same way, and that was elevating anything, tradition, uh, rules, laws above the scriptures. Now, these men have gathered to Jesus, as we see in verse 2. They saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Now, we don't want to get tripped up by what the scribes and the Pharisees are accusing the disciples of here. Um, This is not about washing hands as you or I would understand it. You know, most of us had parents that taught us to wash our hands before eating, right? But that has nothing to do with what... Uh, the disciples are being accused of here. This is about keeping tradition uh, and ritual cleansing. Our parents taught us to wash our hands uh, to protect from illness through bacterial or viral infection, right? Uh, this has nothing to do with that. What the scribes and Pharisees were concerned about was a tradition that developed because the priests were commanded to wash. Uh, in Exodus chapter 30, uh, chapter 30 and also in verse 40, or chapter 40, excuse me. But that, that had uh, to do with uh, Aaron and his sons only. But what had developed around that was this, this oral tradition to try and keep people from accidentally violating God's law. So the scribes and the Pharisees were accusing the disciples, and in, in effect, Jesus their rabbi, of uncleanness, of being defiled, but not because they had done anything contrary to God's law, but rather they had violated instead the tradition of the elders because they had elevated their tradition above the law of God. In verse 6, And he, that is Jesus, said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now, I want, I want us to feel the weight of Jesus' response. This is a very, very pointed and heavy response. These are men whose lives are committed to the law of God. Uh these are very zealous men for God's law. And Jesus has just called them, one, hypocrites, uh, and he has told them that they honor God with their lips, but their heart is far from him. That they are teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That they worship God in vain. This is a very, very pointed response that Jesus gives. Now, but he begins really at the heart of this issue. He doesn't begin with discussing the differences between ritual defilement and true defilement. Instead, he begins at the heart of this issue that their hearts are far from God, that they have elevated their traditions above God's commandment. Now, these, you know these pious men, are they might seem like they're deeply concerned about honoring God and His law, but they're much more concerned with being right. Um enforcing their opinion and their traditions on everyone around them, and, and to be honest, I think this is something that, that many of us need to be aware of. That have we gathered to Jesus because we are very concerned about being right? I know as, as one who has studied theology much of my life, there have been many times in my life that I have been very concerned about being right, and I've had to repent and come back to the cross. And th- I have treated my brothers poorly because of my desire to be right rather than loving them. Jesus' quote from Isaiah chapter 29 is really quite pointed and he calls them out as hypocrites. He says his prophecy or that this prophecy was about them. Now Jesus points out how what they're doing is worse than merely missing the spirit of the law. He says in verse 8 and following, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men he says to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you, had, you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. They're causing the people to disobey God's law, teaching them to skirt around the commandment of God. And Jesus points out two commandments here. He points out uh, the first of of these is the fifth commandment in the 10 commandments. Honor your father and mother from Exodus chapter 20. And he also says, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die from Exodus chapter 21, indicating really the seriousness of this command. The scribes had encouraged the people a way to skirt around this command, the vow of Korban. William Lane, in his commentary on Mark's gospel, is very helpful here. He says, the vow creates a prohibition with regard to an object and fixes upon it the character of an offering dedicated to God. This did not necessarily mean that the object declared Korban had actually to be offered to God. It signified rather that it was withdrawn from its intended use and was no longer available for a particular individual as if it were an offering. Now, this is made worse in verse 12. And Jesus. Says that they, um, they then no, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, making void the word of God by your tradition. Kent Hughes uh, helps us to understand this. He says that even more, the tradition made a man keep his korban vow, even if it was spoken rashly in a fit of anger, for tradition said that one's vow to God was more important than the fifth commandment. So what the scribes and Pharisees are doing here was actually much worse than what we usually think of the Pharisees of doing. Usually we think of these men as being proudly self-righteous, looking down on others for not being as pious as they. But in this particular scene, they are preventing people from obeying the commandment. Even when Uh, a person would realize, I spoke those words rashly. I made a vow that I didn't want to make because of my anger. And so now the scribes and the Pharisees would pressure that person to keep their vow rather than to obey God. Now, picking up in verse 14, uh, Jesus now turns from his interaction with the scribes and the Pharisees and begins to address the crowd to teach them. Verse 14, he says, and he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, then are you also without understanding, do you not see that Envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all of these things come from within and they defile a person. Now, all of this discussion and conflict with the scribes and Pharisees is centered on what makes a person clean. Now, this is what Jesus addresses here and and not just with the important theologians. He's speaking with Um, all of the people. This statement by Jesus is really uh, a bit radical to his hearers. You know, the, the scribes and the Pharisees' understanding of what made a person clean and what defiled that person was really a very common cultural understanding. The people, as well as the disciples, in large part didn't believe differently than the scribes and the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the popular theologians of the day. Um, so th- this was very common understanding. So the disciples aren't really getting it yet. And so Jesus has to spell it out. You know, they had reduced the law of God rather to, to a means of keeping it as a, as a set of do's and don'ts rather than really understanding the heart of God's law. As if the law only dealt with external things. Jesus is teaching that the source of defilement is very different from what everyone uh, up to this point really understood it to be. It had become part of the cultural um, cultural understanding. In verse 15, Jesus says there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. For example, eating with unwashed hands. But the things that come out of him are what defile him. Now, Jesus teaches his disciples something that that we really should lean into because legalism isn't something that existed only with the scribes and the Pharisees. Listen, the, the, the fundamental issue of legalism is this. It is the thought, however subtle, that you or I can commend ourselves to God as righteous on the basis of our obedience to God's law. Let me say that again. Legalism is the thought however subtle, that you or I can commend ourselves to God as righteous on the basis of our obedience to God's law. There's something that I think most of us do. When we read a passage like this from the Gospels, and we put ourselves into the story. One, we put our culture into the story, too. But we put ourselves into the story, and usually what we do is we put ourselves with Jesus. We're We're on his team we would have been right there with Jesus cheering him on, right? I think that most of us think that we would have been there saying, yeah, Jesus, you tell those scribes and Pharisees, you set them straight. It's probably not the case. Probably not the case, even in our own culture and in our own hearts. We, we really should rather recognize that we are either just like the scribes and Pharisees, thinking that our theology is, is so right, so perfect that everyone else is wrong and we need to set them straight or else ridicule them for how foolish they are for not agreeing with us. Or at best, we're like the disciples who who think not too differently from the scribes and the Pharisees, but we're with Jesus, we're following Jesus, but we still don't really get it. We still need to be corrected and taught. Uh, The part of of Jesus' explanation to the disciples that I really want us to grasp is that in a very real way, this isn't good news. This part is not good news. Uh, Jesus explains that we are defiled by what comes out of our hearts. This is not good news. The scribes and the Pharisees, the people, the disciples and most of us in this room, we want to believe that at our core, we're not that bad. I know that many of us know better, especially if we've been walking with the Lord for a long time, but our hearts still spew the evil thoughts that says that we're not that bad. That's an evil thought. Now, if the true source of defilement isn't from external things, and it's from my own heart, I can't get away from it. I can't get away from it. Even if I set up a fence around the law, I set up a bunch of rules for myself to try and keep myself from violating God's law. Especially if I don't really understand the spirit of the law. And I, and I make hundreds of little rules to try and keep myself from sinning, the things, that keep def- the things that defile me keep flowing from my heart. Jeremiah, the prophet, not the pastor, said in chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who's the primary person that my heart deceives? It's me. It deceives me into thinking that I'm not that bad my heart is the problem i can't get away from it i can't fix it myself if my own heart is the problem i can't fix it we are defiled by the condition of our hearts that is evidenced by the things that come from it we need to be rescued by jesus the compassionate savior how then is it that we can be made clean now I find it, it fascinating that while we aren't defiled by what is external to us, excuse me, yes, <laughs> this, this is confusing to me, that's why I have to read my notes. Now I find it fascinating that while we aren't defiled by what is external to us, but by what comes out of us, we can't be, my, be, we can't be made clean by what comes out of us, but by a righteousness that is imputed to us by faith. That righteousness is external to ourselves, it's not what, I do. It's not me fixing myself. It's the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to us by faith when we trust in him. And Jesus lived a perfect life that is credited to us. Faith in the perfect life that he, li- that he lived the righteousness that he earned and the death that he died to pay for our defilement, for our sin, our uncleanness. Because he was the righteous one who died to atone for our sin, God raised him up for our justification. We're made clean by the righteousness of Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for that. God, we, we do recognize that in ourselves, God, the... Uh, defilement that that comes from our own hearts. God, we recognize that. And God, we come to you for mercy. God, we can only stand before you and and plead for mercy and grace. God, we recognize the beauty of Christ. We thank you that, that he came to live that perfect righteousness for us. God, we, we place our faith in him and his perfect righteousness. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.